Good morning. For those joining us online as well, so good to be with you as we're worshiping our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Next Sunday, we will complete our two-year study in the book of the Psalms. And then after the celebration with regard to the uh, uh, construction of phase two, the worship center renovation and the um, commons, and the kids' wing, we're going to begin a, a seven-part series in the book of John that deals with the seven signs that Jesus Christ was involved in a overseeing, all of which pointed to him, starting with, of course, turning water into wine in John chapter 2, and ending with the raising of Lazarus from the grave in John 11, which was sort of the trigger that sent in motion everything leading towards Jesus Christ's death on the cross. It's a little seven-part series that will lead naturally into Thanksgiving weekend and then set the stage for, for Advent coming our way in the month of December. But meanwhile, we are in the Psalms still, and so I would love for you now to take your Bible and turn with me to Psalm 148, which is the last of what are known as the creational Psalms. You're going to see the reason right away as we're developing our thoughts. What I want you to be able to spot, and you'll see this in your insert as you are examining this passage with me, is that 13 times in Psalm 148, the word praise is used. And furthermore, nine times you will find the word all is used. In other words, you're dealing with something which is meant to be all-encompassing, global in aspect, a way in which everything and everybody is offering praise to God. Every knee shall bow, every tongue confess, Jesus Christ is Lord. And so beginning with verse 1, and taking it down through verse 14, I want you to be able to spot all the times praise is mentioned, all the times the word all is utilized, and here you'll find once again it begins and ends as these prior Psalms do in this little mini-series known as the Hosanna Psalms. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise him in the heights. Praise him, all his angels. Praise him, all his hosts. Praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, all you shining stars. Praise him, you highest heavens, and you waters above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for he commanded, and they were created. And he established them forever and ever. He gave a decree, and it shall not pass away. Praise the Lord from the earth. You great sea creatures and all deeps, fire and hell, snow and mist, stormy wind fulfilling his word, mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cedars, and beasts and all livestock, creeping things and flying birds, kings of the earth and all people, princes and all rulers of the earth, young men and maidens together, old men and children. 
Let them praise the name of the Lord. For his name alone is exalted. His majesty is above earth and heaven. He has raised up a horn for his people. Praise for all his saints. For the people of Israel who are near to him. Praise the Lord. And again, the Hebrew for this is Alleluia, which is the fusion, it's the combination of two Hebrew words, Allel, which in the Hebrew carries with the idea of um, praise ye, and then Yah, which is a condensation, if you will, of uh, the name Yahweh, Alleluia, which is how this psalm begins and how this psalm ends in the original. Let's look to our Lord in prayer. Now, our Father, what we want to do is to be able to understand and look very carefully at how the creation points to the Creator. And how creation gives believers an on-ramp to talk about new creation. What it means to have a personal relationship with you through Jesus Christ. So Father, we want to have our eyes focused upon you. We want to have our minds fully engaged in your word, your truth. For those joining online, whether it be at this moment or in the days to come, I pray that they're going to be so stirred by verse by verse what you have penned here. They're going to want to tell somebody else, check this out. This is how we understand the cosmos. This is how we are to address matters of climate change. Here's how we gain a new perspective on environmental matters. I pray that we will take the sum total of these verses, and though they are expressed poetically, they will also address matters that we grapple with scientifically. But ultimately, we realize that these are matters that have come together theologically in you. So, Father, these words of praise are significant. The alleluias of life. So what we're asking in these moments to come, that once again, Father, warm these hearts, engage these wills, that you will so involve yourself in the saturation of our minds that beyond doubt we've come here now to see Jesus him only praying these things again now in Jesus name Amen it was a disaster that took place in Haiti and there was a medical team that was sent over to assist in the matter uh, a group of physicians and nurses arrived. What stands out in the incredible story that AP has provided for us is that the news reported a, a story of a lady who 
evidently was shouting with joy. She had been standing in line and finally received a bucket of water. Just one bucket of water. But furthermore, nearby, another lady found injured and lying on a pallet was singing over and over and over again, Alleluia, Amen. Alleluia, Amen. And at this moment, the Christian medical personnel had a tremendous on-ramp right before them of being able to introduce the God who is sovereign over all that produces the alleluia in the hearts and the minds, even of those who are hurting, allowing them to be able to stand that God cares, God is involved, and God sent his son to die for your sins and die for my sins. But what do we do when it seems as though creation seems to be working against us rather than working for us? As we have done periodically when we come across a psalm of creation, we pause and we get our arms around, if you will, what we have referred to occasionally as the three G's of God's work. That when God was involved in the matter of creation, as you and I see in the Genesis account of Genesis 1, time and time again, God described the creation as that which is good. But then, after the fall of humanity, there were breakdowns, breakdowns not only theologically between humanity and God, and sociologically between man and fellow man, but also psychologically, a breakdown with one's self, but also a breakdown with the environment ecologically. In other words, what we see in the Bible is already a movement from what I will call the good to the grown, as the Apostle Paul puts it in Romans 8, that the entire creation groans in anticipation of the Lord's return, you see. So now you and I are mingling among what I would call the people of the groan, who are hurting. And they might be wondering, why am I going through what I am going through? I want things to be good. What they want is a return to pre-sin. But we have to go through this process from the good to the grown to get to what I would call thoroughly the glory. When someday God will glorify this earth, new heavens and new earth. Now all of this then helps us to better understand what is about to get unpacked in these verses before us. Because here we find, like that lady in, in Haiti, who, who the news reporters were able to spot singing Alleluia, she's praising the Lord. 
Here's our opportunity to explore three sources of praise found in these 14 verses. We're in a, a world that is now caught up with the groan. We who know Christ as Lord and Savior are anticipating the glory. The first of the three sources comes out of verse 1 down through verse 6. And we're going to phrase it this way, all-encompassing praise. And I say all-encompassing because of the number of times the word all appears in this particular psalm. All-encompassing praise to the Lord includes, first of all, this. The praise being offered by the heavens. So you pick it up with me, don't you, in verse, in verse 1. And it starts off in the Hebrew, Alleluia, which again is the fusion of two Hebrew words, Alel and Yah, short for Yahweh. Praise the Lord. But now the psalmist begins to develop this a little more for you and a little more for me and begins to inform us where this begins to get unpacked. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Now this is extraordinary because at this moment what you and I see is that, is that the heavens are a setting in which I will call the cosmic choir is now offering praise to God. And occasionally it spills over, doesn't it, in worship to the way in which people then experience praise to the Lord in the way in which we even unexpectedly, in our work, in fact, find out that the cosmic praise is broken in like shepherds out in the fields. When suddenly in Luke 2, there was the angels, uh, a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And you say, but Gary, how can one be pleasing before God? And the answer is, it's when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, who completely and totally pleased God the Father, doing the will of the Father, by dying in our place for our sins. And that's why the heavenly host in Luke 2 is already praising the Lord in anticipation for the one who entered Bethlehem would die on Calvary. Praise the Lord where? From the heavens. And now he unpacks it a little more. Praise him in the heights. I want you to begin to see now there's this movement from the heavens and you're making way downward towards the earth, and furthermore, the order of creation. Praise him, and here come your awes. Praise him, this is all encompassing, all his angels. Can you imagine that? Because there in that cosmic choir, at the time of creation would have stood the one known as Satan, one of the angels. I love what Calvin Miller in his book, The Valiant 
papers, poetically describing that particular scene in the heavens, wondering what's going on inside of the one evil one. He refers to and dubs, tags, names, Satan Daystar in the Valiant Papers. As he writes, I have never forgotten that Daystar began his insurrection by frowning and skipping out on his morning alleluias. Now, it must have seemed minor at the time, but you see, hell grows out of paradise gone sour. Joy, praise, is a discipline. And fallen angels were always those who grew negligent with their praise. And we begin to think about this, and you will find that the problem in the fallenness of humanity is the issue of the object of praise. Satan wanted to be praised. And he saw that the cosmic choir was offering praise to the creator. And so what you and I find is that there's a tension between praise and pride. And when pride increases in one's soul, simultaneously the alleluias diminish in one's heart. What we need is a humble spirit where we stand before the sovereign God who is creator over all and in our corporate worship as we offer praise to him we gain proper perspective and where we fit in in this cosmic realm. And evidently Satan did not like just where he fit in. Praise him, all his angels. Praise him, all his hosts. But no, you continue on. And you're beginning to ponder as the order of creation continues to unpack, and you realize, you know something? In verses 1 through verse 6, what the psalmist is doing is he is poetically describing day one and day two of the creation account in Genesis chapter one. Amazing. So you unpack it all the more. Praise him, sun and moon. Praise him. And notice once again, it's all. That's why we're calling this all-encompassing praise. Praise him, all you shining stars. Praise him, you highest heavens, and you waters above the heavens. And you say, well, Gary, when I, I read that, I wonder, with all that I've got going on in my life, does God even care? When I look at the extraordinary expanse of this universe, William Beebe was close friends with President Theodore Roosevelt. He had a lot in common. He had extensive knowledge of nature. He explored 
the jungles of Asia and South America, been to the bottom of the ocean and the world's first bathysphere, and there's rows of loved nature and exploring. And so on Sagamore Hill, the biographer tells us, <coughs> B.B. recalls that he and the president went outdoors to see who could be the first one to locate the Andromeda galaxy. And then gazing at the tiny smudge of a distant starlight, either Beebe or Roosevelt would say to the other, that is the spiral galaxy Andromeda. It's as large as our Milky Way. It is one of 100 million galaxies. It is 750,000 light years away. It consists of 100 billion suns, each one larger than our sun. And then after the thought had truly sunk in, Roosevelt, who would flash at that point his famous toothy grin, would then say to Bibi, now I think we are small enough. And they go inside. But for those of us who feel like sometimes the stuff we're dealing with seems so big, but in this great cosmos, I can feel sometimes as though I am so overlooked. Does God care? Then our minds go back to that extraordinary Psalm 8, where after the psalmist says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You've set your glory above the heavens and out of the mouth of babies and infants. You've established strength because of your foes to steal the enemy and the, weak. And the avenger comes this. When I look at your heavens and the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, question, what is man that you are mindful of? the son of man, that you care for him. How do you answer that? The psalmist does. Yet you've made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You've given him dominion over the works of your hands. You've put all things under his feet. And now, as you're working through the good to the groan that leads to the glory, you deal with the whole matter of how you navigate through this sinful world and the tension that is found. But somehow, someway, we've got to draw attention and po fo focus, if you will, that behind the designer is, design is the designer, behind the creation is the creator, and we've got to find a way, even in the midst of the discussions environmentally, matters of climate and so on, to utilize what's discussed in the news as on-ramps to be able to bring attention to who it is that has created one and all. Praise him, you highest heavens and you waters above the heavens, and then let them, in the Hebrew, this is known as a Joseph. Let them praise the name of the Lord. You know, I have volumes in my office uh, on intelligent design. And I, I appreciate the 
immensely the intelligent design movement. But what interests me is that somehow, some way, you and I are going to have to attach a name to the designer. Let them praise the name of the Lord. The name of the Lord, Lord is Yahweh. The very same name that was offered to Moses when he's in the wilderness and wondering, and what am I going to go back and say to them? Who shall I say sent me? Tell them I am sent you. And I am is the meaning of Yahweh, not I was. Not I will be. He is always the I am. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for he commanded and they were created, and he established them forever and ever. And you say, well, God, won't someday the world be destroyed? Well, not so fast. When the Hebrew speaks of new heavens and new earth in Isaiah chapter 65 and 66, it carries with the idea of renewed. In the very same way that Jesus Christ's body was not destroyed in the grave, but three days later was glorified, raised from the grave, I would argue from the Hebrew that what you will have is a renewed heaven, a renewed earth, and you move then from the good to the grown to the glory, and it all fits together and begins to make sense as you begin to work through this. And so the creation becomes your on-ramp to point to the creator. The design becomes the on-ramp that points to the designer. And for those that are grappling with sin in this fallen world, you can move from creation to new creation and talk about what it means to know Jesus Christ as Savior, Jesus Christ as Lord. Take a look at what appears, what appears on the screen. This is Antares. Antares is one of the reddest stars visible to the eye. Often hovers just above the horizon, twinkles a lot. It's a red supergiant star. It's one of the largest known stars in the galaxy. And if Antares was our sun, it would engulf the entire orbit of Mars. Earth would well be inside it. But fortunately, Antares lies about 600 light years away. Is visible in the evening sky between June and September. So go get yourself a telescope, folks, and begin to ponder the designer who stands behind his design, the creator who stands behind the creation, and in the midst of all kinds of politicized controversy with regard to science, environmentally, climate-wise, and so on, Find a way to begin to talk about creation to new creation because what we find is that we are navigating life talking with people who have worldviews. The believer is a biblical worldview. The unbeliever, a naturalist worldview. The believer, creation is by a good and loving God. For the naturalist worldview, 
This world is the result of a cosmic accident. For a believer, the good creation was damaged by sin. For the naturalist worldview, we've got ourselves a problem. Humans naturally good until corrupted by society. But how did society corrupt? Somewhere along the way, you've got to keep pushing it back, pushing it back, until you get to the whole idea of creation and fall, redemption, and ultimately restoration, you see. You've got yourself an on-ramp in the midst of the, of the discussions that are happening in the news, even to this very day. And so look at that Antares, and you've got yourself not one more cosmic opportunity to be able to point out what Isaiah himself pointed out in Isaiah 40, verses 26, and again 28. Lift your eyes, look to the heavens. Who created all these? He who brings out the starry hosts one by one, calls them each by name because of his great power and mighty strength. Now, one of them is missing. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God the creator of the ends of the earth. And so like that one on the journey who's trying to make a sense out of life. In Psalm 121, he's asking the question, where does my help come from? You're able to say, our help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven on earth. And now what you've done at this point is that you've looked at days one and two of, of the Genesis account, where poetically this is being described in verses one through six of Psalm 148. And you're able to say all-encompassing praise to the Lord includes the praise being offered by the heavens, but you don't stop there, do you? No. Because second of all, Notice, furthermore, the praise being offered by the earth in verses 3, excuse me, in verse 7 down through 12. And as I begin reading this, all of a sudden the light comes on because while verses 1 through 6 deal with days 1 and 2, verses 7 through 12 deal with days 3 through 6 of the Genesis account of chapter 1. Extraordinary what's on being unpacked here by the psalmist as he's poetically offering you a commentary on this world, on the cosmos, as he you know, as he goes on at this point to be able to say to you and say to me, Praise the Lord. But this time the source is from the earth. Do you see the movement from heaven to earth? And now here come the challenges of being delivered. You great sea creatures, and circle the word all, all deeps, fire, hail, snow, mist, stormy wind fulfilling his word. And now you think of Jesus Christ in that boat where he is capable simply by his word to calm the winds. And you and I are taking it in. And we're thinking seriously about how all of this works and how God is involved in the midst of it all. Mountains, 
and all hills, fruit trees, all cedars, beasts, all livestock, creeping things, and flying birds. And now all of a sudden, he, he, he moves in this earthly expression of praise from the environmental to the political. Kings of the earth and all peoples is the challenge. Princes and all rulers of the earth, young men and maidens together, old men and children. Robert Boyle is the father of modern chemistry. My father was a, a research chemist. My training is in biochemistry. Loud claps of thunder uh, stirred a young man named Robert Boyle. He was afraid because the biographer tells us the furious storm outside made him wonder about God in the ultimate day of judgment. And so at the age of 13, Robert Boyle resolved to live a life dedicated to serving Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. And from that stormy night, he vowed to use his interest in science to bring glory to God's name. He argued that the universe reflected God's purposeful design. He argued that the scientist's duty was to discover what laws God had established. Boyle formulated what became known as Boyle's Law. Those that have studied chemistry know it's the pressure of a gas. It's inversely proportionate to the volume it occupies. But what interests us is that in 1662, Boyle was influential in establishing the Royal Society in England where a majority of the first members were Christians who saw science as a means of understanding God's workings in nature. And to this very day, there's a series of lectureships offered to give the Christian testimony time to make its case against its opponents. And so now, humanity has an opportunity to be able to look to the heavens and bring this sense of perspective into the realm of the earth. Galileo did that. If you ever make your way to Florence, Italy, uh, look at what appears on the screen. He was moonstruck because in Christian History Journal, we're told that September 1609 to March 1610, every cloudless night found Galileo gazing through what was then known as his spyglass, we now know as a telescope at the moons and the planets. And what he was trying to do was to sketch for humanity his observations of the moon and talk about God in relationship to it. And now what you and I do then is we look for on-ramps so that we can move from creation to new creation thinking 
We can move from creation to the creator. We move from the design to the designer. And when somebody's wondering, why am I going through what I am going through? You can move from historically from the good to the grown where they're now at to the future glory and note the glorified body of Jesus Christ and begins to come together. He suffered, we suffer, but all this is foretaste for what's to come and what's to come. Notice thirdly now, that as you and I are involved in this all-encompassing praise being offered by the heavens, 1 through 6, and by the earth in 7 through 12, wrapping our arms around the six days of creation, for on the seventh he's rested. Look now at verses 13 and 14, because thirdly, notice the praise being offered by the redeemed. Uh, let them praise the name of the Lord, and when Jesus Christ was able to say before Abraham was, I am, what he was saying in the Hebrew was before Abraham was, Yahweh. Is it any wonder they picked up stones attempting to kill him? Let them praise the name of Yahweh. Hallelujah. For his name alone is exalted. And I want you to be able to see here that it says alone. And I was thinking about that. So I was listening to some Hillsong worship in these past days. Who can melt the hardest heart and speak life into my soul? Who can spin the world around and hold me ever close? Who can search the depths of me and love me to the core? Who controls the world I see and walks me through it all? No one but you. No one but you. And the Aden king who penned this would go on to say, Hear the oceans roar. See the skies light up. Every heart now sing to the Lord. Hear the rocks cry out. See the mountains bow. Every heart come worship the Lord. And now what have you done? My word. You have pulled together all three sources here. The heavens of one through six the earth of 7 through 12, the redeemed of 13 and 14. Let the reed praise the name of the Lord, for his name alone is exalted. His majesty is above earth and heaven. Why? Don't you love this? He has raised up a horn for his people. The horn was the symbol of salvation. Praise for all his saints for the people of Israel who are near to him. It ends as it begins. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Who are these three men who appear on the screen? Bill Anders, Jim Lavelle, Frank Borman. It was Christmas Eve it was 1968, and Apollo 8 was orbiting the moon, and it was time to send a statement, a message, to it, what at that point was the most watched program at that point in all of history, globally. And what was it that they were able to say? We are now approaching Luna sunrise, and for all the people back on earth, 
the crew of Apollo 8 has a message that we would like to send to you. And then with the words of Genesis 1, 1 through 11, typed on fireproof paper so they would not be destroyed, Bill Anders read Genesis 1, verses 1 through 4. Jim Lavelle continued on with verses 5 through 8. Frank Borman ended with verses 9 through 11. And through it all, the emphasis that they want to be able to state was this. In the beginning, God. And when you tie that together, you tie together the three sources of praise, all which points to the finished work of Jesus Christ. Let's stand together. And so, Father, we find ourselves answering that question, do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. And for that one who's struggling, it seems like their world is coming apart. And they're on a journey like the one in Psalm 121, grappling with where does my help come from? The answer is given. My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And for this, we give you all the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.